Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful day as much as I am. It's a really beautiful day outside right now. And I just got to say, life's pretty good right now. So today we're going to be talking about how auto dealerships are facing a shortage of technicians to fix cars. And it goes into details a little bit about why. And I have a few thoughts of my own opinion as well, why this is happening. Elon Musk, uh, we have more news on Elon Musk. He's having uh, buyer's remorse pretty much for buying, trying to buy out Twitter. And there's a potential steep, like long legal war with Twitter that he's going to be facing. And we'll cover both of these articles just to see if there's information that needs to be talked about for Twitter. Because this is probably going to be like the next big thing they're going to be talking about in the news for a while. In California too, they've recently announced that they plan to make insulin cheaper in the state, according to Governor Newsom. And finally, something I have been talking about a lot, well, not really a lot, but I've noticed a lot is... I believe that we are facing bottlenecks within our own country. And there's a report from CNBC says that railroad bottlenecks as at nation's busiest West Coast, West Coast ports reaches inflection point. And I can't wait to cover that later on in this podcast today. With that, like I always say before each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for informational purposes only. You need to go talk to your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions on any investment decisions that you make. If I do mention any stocks in this podcast, I will have to remind you that if I do talk about them, I have small positions based off the companies. If any of the names are brought up, I'll make sure to mention it in this podcast. But I am not a professional advisor and I cannot give you financial advice. This podcast is for information purposes for those who wish to seek out information and for entertainment for those who wish to be able to be entertained by it as well. With that being said, let us begin today's podcast. Auto dealerships are facing a shortage of technicians to fix cars. Here's why. From CNBC, it's not just hard to, to buy a new car these days. It's getting tough to even get one fixed. There just aren't enough workers to do the job. Dealers and auto repair shops are struggling to recruit and retain technicians and other service department workers. Auto dealerships, like many industrials, are feeling the effects of somewhat have terminated the great resignation in which workers are quitting at steep rates. It's become especially difficult for dealers to retain service advisors who interact with customers and service managers. But even before that, there has been a stubborn decades-long shortage of auto technicians, the people who fix cars. Industry analysis say low pay, lack of clearly defined career path, and a general shift away from jobs in the trades are making it tough to attract and retain people over the long term. Meanwhile, insiders say the transition to electric vehicles make for one of the most exciting times to consider an auto tech career since the dawn of the industry. Some hope the chance to learn cutting-edge technology will help to lure workers back to the field. I personally believe that the electric car industry is going to change a lot of things. I think in reality, because you're having to deal with less parts and everything of that, you're not going to have as many, I guess, quote unquote, gritty blue collar jobs anymore, which is what most of the car industry is in general. I think if anything, you might see new white collar jobs in the making, which is what a lot of people are going to because... Sometimes in the school system, you have teachers who will tell you that if you don't study hard in school, you'll be working as a blue collar worker. And teachers are sometimes a little biased when it comes to that, because in reality, everyone becomes a teacher in some way, shape or form in your field or profession based off what you do. And so it's interesting to see that the car industry is facing this. I mean, we also just reported yesterday that Ford had its worst quarter in China. Now, granted, we don't know how they did in the United States. We didn't get to cover that as much in yesterday's podcast. But we did also get to see that GM also was suffering in China. I personally believe one of the reasons why 
that people are not doing these jobs is it's most likely because of pay. Okay. Granted, the, the if you work in the car industry, you're not always guaranteed, but you're the people are going to want to get their cars repaired. Even in times of recession, people are going to want to get their cars repaired. I also think too that I mean I'm curious to know and and if there are any car enthusiasts who are listening to this podcast right now, like how do you feel about the potential shift to the electric car making in the in the process? Like I know I know some people who love cars, but they love the revving of the engine, and that's one reason why they became a technician at the end of the day is because they just love working on cars. I'm curious to know with this new electric cars in the making, if that same drive is going to be there, or maybe there'll just be more shortages of workers. It's hard to tell, but at the end of the day, it's, it's interesting to see. I mean, I also don't believe that there is a shortage of workers either. Cause I mean, there are a lot of car repair shops around the country. It seems like at times, at least when you're driving around in certain cities, you can see one. So maybe it's just CNB, CNBC reporting, but at the end of the day, people who love cars will get into making cars. That's just what they do in, in general. So things to keep out for. <clears throat> On to the tech sector now. Elon Musk has been expressing buyer's remorse over Twitter for months. Less than three months after agreeing to buy Twitter for $44 billion, Elon Musk says he wants out. It's no surprise. Musk has been, ex- been expressing buyer's remorse since shortly after he announced the deal. Attorneys representing Musk sent a letter on Friday to Vijay Gadi, Twitter's chief legal officer, explaining that why Tesla CEO and the richest person in the world does not plan to proceed with the merger agreement. Reiterating arguments Musk has made, the attorneys claim that Twitter downplayed the number of bots and spam accounts on the platform just weeks after Twitter accepted the unsolicited bid in late April. Musk began publicly expressing doubts about the company's tally of fake and spam accounts. Quote, in short, Twitter has not provided information that Mr. Musk has requested for nearly two months, notwithstanding his repeated detailed cl- clarifications intended to simply Twitter's identification, collection, and disclosure of the most relevant information sought in Mr. Musk's original request, the lawyers wrote on Friday. They added that inaccurate information provided by Twitter and the SEC disclosures may form an additional basis for terminating the merger agreement. Back in May, Musk said in a tweet, Twitter's deal temporarily on holding pending detail support calculations that spam slash fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of the users. Meanwhile, the company's shares were plummeting over investors' concerns that the deal would fall apart. A day before Musk said that the deal was on hold, Twitter market cap nosedived to $9 billion below Musk's roughly $44 billion purchase price. It didn't help that the broader market was tumbling, led by a collapse in tech stocks. Twitter shells... Twitter shares fell another 5% in after hours on Friday to $35.04 after dropping more than 5% in the regular trading. They're now 35% below the price at $54.20 that Musk agreed to pay. Twitter isn't prepared to let Musk walk away. Brett Taylor, the company's chairman, said on Friday that Twitter will pursue the case in court. Quote, the Twitter board is committed to closing the transaction on the price and terms agreed upon by Mr. Musk and plans to pursue legal action to enforce the merger agreement. Taylor wrote in a tweet, Finishing the, qu- finishing the tweet, quote, we are confident we will prevail in the Delaware Court of Chancery. It's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Because even CNBC is also reporting this as well, that Elon Musk faces the long legal war with Twitter, which has the upper hand. And this is billionaire Elon Musk on Friday moved to back the, out of the $44 million deal to buy Twitter, citing continued disagreement over the number of spam 
accounts on the platform. While Musk may want to end the bid for Twitter, it's not as easy as just walking away, according to legal ex- experts. Instead, Musk likely faces a long battle ahead with Twitter in court that could take many months to resolve. Twitter's board is in a, is in a very difficult position, said Ann Lipton, a professor of corporate governance at Tulane Law School. Quote, they just, correction, quote, they can't just say, all right, let's spare us the pain. Elon let you knock the price down to $20 per share or we'll settle. We'll agree to walk away if you just pay the billion dollar fee. I mean, Twitter, it's not in the position to be able to do that. Doing so would risk triggering a lawsuit by Twitter shareholders. She added, Twitter shareholders have have already filed a lawsuit against the company and Elon Musk himself over the chaotic deal. Merger agreements are, quote, very hard to get out of. And so far, Musk appears to have provided insufficient evidence backing up his claim that Twitter lied about spam figures Lipton said. Meanwhile, Twitter's chairman, Brett Taylor, has already promised that the company's board will take legal action against Musk. Quote, the Twitter board is committed to closing the transaction on the price and terms agreed upon Mr. Musk and plan to pursue legal action to enforce the merger agreement, Taylor wrote in a tweet. Continuing on with the quote, we are confident we will prevail prevail in the Delaware Court of Chancellery, Taylor added, referring to the Delaware Court that settles disputes among businesses. I mean, it's interesting that Twitter is making a huge push on this. I mean, we've mentioned this in the past, but Twitter really wasn't making money. They weren't. They were caring more about making sure that people on their platform were happy. They were banning accounts. I mean, I think even recently, was it Jordan Peterson that was told to like take down a tweet because of how terrible it was? I mean, the point of Twitter is supposed to be a free speech platform. And it doesn't really seem like the company is living up to its expectations. At the same time, the whole point of a company is to make money. And my honest opinion, Twitter is most likely like going bankrupt. Probably. Because they they haven't, I guess, haven't been making money, I guess. I mean, Facebook has made money for the longest time. Small disclosure, I do have a position, a small position, a very long position in Facebook. Facebook, also known as Metaverse now, I guess, right? Facebook, for the longest time, was making their money off advertising on their platform. When I'm on Twitter, I don't see that many advertising on their platform as much. Maybe it's because when I use Twitter, it's to mostly post about this podcast a little bit, just to get the word out. But at the same time, it just seems like Twitter just doesn't really make a push for ads as much. And and in, in reality, too, Twitter is great for one reason. I mean, you can look at breaking news immediately. But it seems like Twitter just doesn't know how to monetize their platform to the best of their ability. Facebook was able to figure that out. Hence why Facebook is a much bigger company than Twitter is. But it's still going to be interesting to see how this deal turns out. I mean... There's a chance, and and this is the only two scenarios in my head I'm currently seeing. First, the the first one's easy. Elon's gonna be forced to buy the company. That's already a said. That's that's pretty much one route already in my mind. The second one's gonna be. I'm curious to know if a judge is going to force Twitter to reveal the information that Elon's been asking, and if that information gets revealed on on court, and let's say Elon's right, how much more does Twitter stock fall potentially? In all honesty. Like if they, if they send out the numbers and they realize and Wall Street sees the numbers, and they realize they've been lied to for so long. What happens to Twitter then? In, in all honesty, 
it's something we got to keep an eye out for because this, how this ends might determine the future of Twitter. Okay. Whether it's owned by Elon or how much longer the company survives, or if the whole board has to get shaken up because they're facing huge amounts of bankruptcy. It's going to be interesting, but Twitter's making a push. And in, and like I said, in my opinion, I think Twitter is not making any money. And I think that they were desperate to get this bid to go through just to save them. But who knows? On to the next article. California's new $100 million plan to make insulin cheaper. What you need to know. This was reported actually on Friday night, but it's still an interesting read to look at. California will be making its own low-cost insulin in an effort to make the essential diabetes treatment more affordable, Governor Gavin Newsom announced on Thursday. Quote, nothing um, epitomizes market failures more than the cost of insulin, the governor said in a video posted on Twitter. Many Americans experience out-of-pocket costs anywhere from $300 to $500 per month for this life-saving drug. With a budget of $100 million, California plans to contract and make their, correction, contract and make Contract and make our own insulin at a cheaper price, close to at cost, and make it available to all, Newsom said. It's unclear exactly how inexpensive California insulin will be when the cost, when the low-cost drug will be available. Insulin in the U.S. costs about $100 per unit on average. That's nearly four times the price in Chile, which has the second-highest prices among 34 countries and analysis by the, non, by the nonprofit RAND Corporation at less than $25 per unit. Currently, four in five Americans in need of insulin have incurred thousands of dollars in credit card debt to pay for the medication, according to a recent survey commissioned by healthcare organization Charity Rx. The average debt among all survey participants was $9,000. California's program, which allot $50 million towards the development of cheaper insulin products and $50 million on an in-state insulin manufacturing facility, Newsom said, adding that the facility will provide new high-paying jobs and a stronger supply chain for the drugs. It's unclear if other states plan to follow suit. In March, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Affordable Insulin Now Act, which would cap out out-of-pocket insulin costs at $35 per month for Americans with, pr- with private health insurance and the Medicare prescription drug benefit. The bill has yet to pass in the Senate. According to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, 37.7, correction, 37.3 million people in America have diabetes. California has a particular high rate of new diabetes cases, mainly affected minorities, the elderly, males, and low-income individuals, according to the governor's office. Quote, California is now taking matters in their own hands, Newsom said, because California, we know the people should not go into debt to receive life-saving medication. Okay, a few things. If I'm not mistaken, the whole problem with insulin, if I am if I remember correctly, it's because there's a, so few companies that make it. And I don't remember if there was a patent that was with insulin, but if that's the case, you need to make it easier for new companies to come about to make insulin because the more companies you have, wouldn't that make the cost of insulin drop down if I'm not mistaken? At the same time, my own personal opinion, this was a huge political move for Gavin Newsom currently right now. Gavin Newsom recently, and like I said, I try to stay away out of politics, but sometimes the politics intermingles with the stock market and they're intertwined, okay? Gavin Newsom, he looks like he's about ready to run for president currently right now, okay? On July 4th, he released a video in the state of Florida, pretty much ripping on Ron DeSantis and the Republican Party in Florida, okay? 
There's been some controversy too of him going to Montana recently. That was reported on the radio recently when driving home from work. And now he's saying this. In my personal opinion, I would not be surprised if Newsom's running in 2024. But that's another story for another day. This whole thing with California though, I wonder how the market's going to react to this. And the next question becomes too is where are they going to make this plant to make insulin? To be to be honest, like where are they going to build it? That's what I want to know as well. Because these projects in the past have like never worked out in California. Like the speed train that was supposed to be made, that's sitting doing nothing. So is this going to be another project in the making that's going to sit there doing nothing? Who knows? But at the end of the day, if this this could be a good thing. But in reality, I think it's you just need to make more competition out there for insulin in general. More companies need to be able to make it. More companies that can make it, the more likely prices will drop. So I think insulin prices are going to keep staying up for a while. But if you, if you want to pay attention to this more, guys, I would advise watching it. Maybe not as closely, but just keep it in the back of your mind just in case things happen. But if insulin's ever brought up again, just remember, we should look this up immediately and be like, ooh, I wonder what's happening in California with the insulin project. Last article. Railroad bottlenecks at nation's busiest West Coast ports reaches inflection point. From CNBC News, rail congestion from Berkshire Hathaway subsidiary BNSF and Union Pacific, the railroad servicing the West Coast ports, is getting worse and slowing down container processing at the nation's largest port complex. Slowdowns involving container limits, future availability, and constrict supply, which can spark an increase in container prices. Congestion was one of the reasons behind the surging freight prices during the pandemic, prices that have been passed down to the consumers contributing to inflation. 60% of long-dwelling containers are scheduled to go on the rail, said Jenry Siroka, executive director of the Port of Los Angeles. Our land capacity is at 90%. The increase in time of the import containers staying in the port is one of the key metrics being tracked by CNBC supply chain's heat map. A terminal land capacity for the efficient movement of containers is 70 to 75% so that trucks and equipment can move easily. Vessel anchorage to berth times are steadily improving, allowing for more boxes to land onto terminals. But the fact that the rail car capacities are limited will mean future containers may start stacking up in rail yards, waiting to be loaded and moved appropriately, according to Capital Adil, United States Western Regional Executive for Marina Traffic. Quote, as the containers stack up, terminals may eventually run out of space and be unable to take new imports. A slippery slope, which can cause the vessel dwell times to once again increase or cause carriers to instead call on another port to altogether and avoid the slowdown. Now, this is where things get interesting. I made a point recently saying it's weird that it seems like the ports aren't moving as fast because there's still ships out that you can see from Huntington Beach or Long Beach at times, okay? And this is where this article says, Los Angeles Long Beach wait times tick up. The wait time for containers leaving the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach continues to tick up. The dwell time for container bounds for rail is 7.5 days at the port of Los Angeles and a little over eight days at the port of Long Beach. Quote, we're at the point of inflection as the rail bottlenecks, including the lack of rail cards at the nation's largest and most significant container gateway, said Mario Cordero, the executive director of the port of Long Beach. 
The Port of Oakland's two rail yards are near dock, not on dock, like the Port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, port officials told CNBC. Roughly 10% of its imports are moved by train. The Pacific Northwest, however, relies on rail to move its imports and exports. The Northwest Seaport Alliance is comprised of ports of of Tacoma and Seattle. These ports, like the ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach and Oakland, are landlord ports. But unlike the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which track the dwell times of their containers bound for rail, the NWSA does not need a referred CNBC to the terminals who do not share the information with NWSA. The terminals did not respond to requests for comment. It says here, according to CNBC supply chain heat map, the dwell times of an import container leaving the port of Tacoma or Seattle, either by truck or by rail, is over 16 days for Seattle and eight days for Tacoma. Quote, the decision of where the container bound for rail goes is decided by the ocean carrier, said Jack Hedge, executive director of the Utah Inland Port Authority. The carriers are limiting which inland ports go uh, ports to go to. If they were flexible to diversify their rail routes, it would ease the bottlenecks on the rails and free up congestion. But that would mean their container would be in inland longer. Uni Pacific said they were unable to comment on the congestion because they were in a quiet period due to upcoming earnings. The ports are backed up. They are. There, there's going to be continue to be supply chain issues. I mean, come on. It's taking seven days or eight days for Los Angeles or Long Beach to un, to get their stuff out. And same with 16 and eight days in Tacoma or Seattle, depending on which one you're talking about. This is insane to be, to, to be honest. Okay. And this is something I also wanted to point out too. I said, well, why don't we use the East coast ports a little bit? It says the congestion at the ports and the threat of labor slowdowns or strikes by longshoremen have led to parade of trading, moving away from the West coast to the East coast from January through the month of May, we had an 11.5 increase in import containers said, Bethany Rooney, director of the Port of New York and New Jersey. 6.5% of the volume was cargo shift away from the West Coast ports. Rooney said the ports have also seen unusual early arrival on holiday items, including Christmas trees into the port, as well as winter apparel, household appliances, and are also part of long-dwelling containers. The market share of trade capture by the East Coast can be tracked by the volume containers. And it's interesting because there's a chart that they show on this article, and it shows the West Coast volume dropping, and it just crossed the East Coast, and the East Coast is increasing, okay? And, and all honestly, if people are using the East Coast, then potentially it's going to cost more to be able to get the supplies. I recently had to buy an item online for my volleyball team to help them get ready for next season, and it took me two weeks to get the item, okay? Now, granted, it was coming from the East Coast, but it didn't come from a ship, okay? But there are bottlenecks in the making. It's taking longer to get the stuff that people want. Eventually, I think these bottlenecks are going to spill over. They will if they can't get things going a lot faster. There's only so much rail. We, we already have the whole rail system down. <clears throat> that's that's not a problem. You have the rails. <clears throat> rails can, can only carry so much. The ships are at full capacity, obviously. Now there's the trucker issue. Don't know how the trucker issue is going because it doesn't report it much in the article, but it talks about the rails mostly, okay? And apparently there's a railroad union dispute in the making. The class one freight railroads and the 12 rail unions have been embroiled in the labor dispute since 2020 and are currently in a 30-day cooling off period. 
The Chamber of Commerce recently sent a letter to President Biden copying Labor Secretary Marty Walsh and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, urging the president to get involved. Quote, a strike by the railroad workers would would be more disruptive than the longshoremen strike on the West Coast, Hedge said. This would impact all trade. The National Meditation, uh, correction, the National Mediation Board, the NMB, as an independent U.S. federal government agency that facilities labor management relations within the nation's railroad and airline industries, is scheduling a public interest meeting set to begin on July 12th. The labor strife in Europe is an example of how labor at the rail or port stops the slowdown trade. Labor negotiations are part of impasse in the German ports, and the congestion contain, conge, contagion have spread to the European ports. We're going to need to pay attention to this to see what President Joe Biden has to say about this when the time comes. But in all honesty, it's going to get potentially, and I think it's going to get worse. I think rail stocks might potentially become more valuable in the long run, too. Because, rail, I mean, you can't build any more rails, okay? And they even say in this article about Berkshire Hathaway's rail, it said here, BNSF responding by emails that operational safety services and efficiency are aligned throughout the network. While this momentum is inconsistent at times, there are we are on the right path towards delivering better service performance. Berkshire is going to continue to make money. They will. They will not have an issue with what's happening with the rail system currently right now at the end of the day. What is going to probably happen is Joe Biden's not going to do much of anything. And Berkshire is going to make a lot of money because they're doing everything they can. Okay. One of the things they're trying to do, they're getting more engines out there. They're trying to get their trains back from Chicago back to Southern California as quickly as possible. And Berkshire is going to need, they're going to do what they need to do in order to survive at the end of the day. Meanwhile, that letter to Joe Biden was a complete waste of time. Pay attention to rail stocks, guys. Things are going to get interesting with the rail company soon. So. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed recording it. I ask that if you have enjoyed it, that you please like and subscribe to this podcast and be able to share it with friends or family so that we can be able to keep talking about what's happening in the market at times and be able to report things as they happen. I also ask that you please share with friends or family because your friends or family might enjoy this podcast as well and maybe they want to know what's happening with the market at times or at least hear the news that's happening with the market. So... With that being said, guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.